Good evening, and welcome to Drink 4 dot dot dot, the podcast that combines a lifelong television infatuation with an overarching love of drink, an interactive journey that encourages the incorrigible while providing an intoxicating alternative to a night out. Think Netflix and show without the chill, perhaps without the Netflix, and definitely without the sex. Who knows, maybe we'll learn something along the way, or at the very least, have a bit of immature fun. Hello everyone, I'm your host Jordan Brooks, and this week we have a very special episode in that it doesn't focus on film at all. We're going to be focused on television. Now I'm going to do this a little bit differently than I do other episodes because I don't want to sit around for 8, 10, 12, 14, 24, 48 hours watching television shows. And getting back to you uh, dead drunk, that doesn't seem like any fun to me, nor like something I would even really want to do. So what I have planned instead is this. Over a two-podcast special, I'm basically going to daisy-chain my normal format together, creating a gigantic booze fest that will hopefully be both interesting and enlightening and at least give you 70-plus hours worth of drinking rules for your daily life. In today's episode, I'm going to feature five television shows as well as several bonus drinking rules. I'm not going to go ahead and drink for those, but I will be drinking for the main five, so that by the end we will figure out at what point I psychologically break. So, you know, at least we have that to look forward to. Hopefully I won't be dying ever during any of this, and as it goes along, maybe I'll hit a peak entertainment, and we can really start to, to figure out at, at what point in my intoxication that I am most interesting. So let's get into it. The first television show is going to be Documentary Now, created by Fred Armisen, Bill Hader, Seth Meyers, and Reese Thomas. This is available on IFC as well as Netflix. The show originally broadcasts on IFC and Netflix has, has pickup rights to a lot of their shows. I don't know if it's called pickup rights. I uh, don't fucking care either. Most of the Documentary Now episodes are directed by Reese Thomas and Alex Buono. It was started in 2015. is currently on its third season, with a fourth having been greenlit this April. The show got its start when SNL alums Armisen Hader, Myers, and uh, at least filmically Thomas decided to do a sort of Spinal Tap parody. Really kind of getting into the the quagmires of, of, of making a meta thing about something that was already meta. Really going down rabbit holes. But the series itself focuses on the idea of mockumentary as a whole and the stylistic choices that one could make in order to really tell an absurd story in a very straight-faced way. The directors in this do a really good job of being able to bring visual and narrative trademarks from a lot of very popular and famous documentaries, sets it up as sort of a newsreel show as as hosted by Helen Mirren, and just, I guess, basically just flex their comedic and, and filmmaking muscles. It's 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 a it's a pretty interesting thing. Episodes are really short, and they're all pretty absurd, and really show. I, I think it, it could end up being a really nice way for people to get into documentaries as a whole, wanting to see what a lot of these spoofs are based on, and a lot of a lot towards helping people who might not otherwise understand filmmaking or documentary making be able to more easily grasp concepts of both filmmaking and telling a story in general now enough of this sober nonsense i'm getting pretty bored already i'm sure you are extremely bored so here are the rules for drink for documentary now drink every time you see armison or hater and remember Oh, this is documentary now. Drink for absurd jokes said with a straight face. Uh, for example, Helen Mirren in all of the intros saying, Welcome to season 53, or 
blah, blah, blah. Drink every time you are impressed by the fact that this is a fake documentary. And for the documentary nerds out there, drink when you've figured out the original doc and either think it in your head or say it out loud to impress your friends with your filmic knowledge. That being said, I'm going to go off into the abyss, start this incredible journey into God knows how many hours I'm going to spend doing this today. But I will see you probably on the other side. And if I don't see you ever again, it's because I've gone blind from drinking for your entertainment. You're welcome. We're all addicted to streaming these days. Amazon, Netflix, HBO Go, Showtime, GoTime, Hulu, Criterion, you know the rest. What's slightly more powerful than streams? That's right, Brooks. I've shoehorned my last name into hastily creating an app that allows users to buy and trade their streaming credentials. Have Netflix, but one HBO? Trade Bob, Bob pays for Gable. Do you need Hulu to find out if The Handmaid's Tale is actually any good? Jenny has that PW go halvesies on the bill with her. You're already sharing your car, apartment, and beach holiday photos with strangers. Why not share in the joy of endlessly addictive entertainment? Brooks and Streams is available on the app and Google Play stores now. I'm back after documentary now, and let me just say, that was absolutely a delight. I watched two episodes. First, season one, episode four, The Eye Doesn't Lie, based on Errol Morris's The Thin Blue Line. And one from season three, episode four, Waiting for the Artist, based on Matthew Akers. The artist is present, and Maria Abramovic. Both were, were really stunning episodes. It's always really nice to have a have a drink and sit down and watch some great comedians go to work but these in, in sort of the bounds of non-fiction and the idea that everything they're saying is true I think sort of elevates it for me and it makes it something very uniquely special because not only am I allowed to revel in these people that I find extremely hilarious but I'm able to I guess understand how powerful a visual narrative medium is in terms of my ability to not only be influenced by what's going on but to to sort of become entranced by it so i know none of none of these characters are real and and nothing should technically be happening but the musical cues and the directorial cues from the eye doesn't lie really beyond, I suppose, mocking Errol Morris's style really lets you know how easy it is to be manipulated because you can feel yourself drifting before you have to, say, take a drink or think about the fact that a lot of, or, or I suppose think about the heavy-handed nature of Errol Morris's filmmaking, uh, at least in, in this context. But it's, it you know, just a lot of fun, and I think doing a, a drinking game for a series like this can really help you stay out of it and stay a lot more critical as compared to a lot of times where you just end up doing the drinking game for a little bit and maybe falling out of it and just start to, to, to regularly drink for a film, drink you know whenever you want. But with this and its episodic nature really limiting it down to just a few minutes of having to sort of pay direct attention is um it's a great amount of time it's a great sort of bite-sized drinking snack for you if you will um it's probably a lot more problematic i I suppose to phrase drinking so casually but at the same time this is all uh, for fun So, uh, you know, there you go. 
moving uh, very swiftly on from from I suppose that that heavy note. I'm not sure where where that deviation from the course started, but we're gonna move on here to Paolo Sorrentino's Young Pope. Young Pope is uh, on HBO. It's only one season on there right now, but it's also available on Canal Plus and Sky Atlantic. Uh, Paolo Sorrentino, being a famous Italian director known for Youth and the Great Beauty, those are those are big cinephile all timers. Uh, th- those are going to be on so many IMDb lists of greatest films of all time. Very beautiful, very large, sumptuous, vibrant images throughout everything that Paolo Sorrentino does, so I'd have to expect that that carries through quite nicely to The Young Pope. As I said, this has only one season currently, which premiered at the Venice Film Festival, and uh, another reason why you know it's going to be quite good. But a second season is coming. It started filming in late 2018. It's going to be called The New Pope, and will theoretically be released at some point in the future. As I've actually never seen Young Pope, this was a Twitter suggestion from Sheffieldian cinema lady Annabelle G, at Annabelle underscore always on Twitter, who was kind enough to send along some top-notch drinking rules. The first of which is drink for divine intervention. We're going to drink for shots of shoes. We're going to drink for Pope Hattery. Anytime his gorgeousness Jude Law dons a hat, slips him back. And then we're going to drink for mountainous triptychs of backlit bodies. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with art but love the young Pope, a triptych is a painting done on three panels that are meant to connect Hieronymus Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights is probably the, the most famous triptych. Uh, is the only one that's currently coming into my head. I, a lot of religious iconography sort of comes in threes. Um, yeah, so we're going to go with with those rules. And on that man's plenty note, I bid you farewell yet again to continue my day-long drink fest. Hopefully not going too far into madness, but we'll, we'll really have to see. After this one, it's going to start getting quite interesting. So we will see you after the young bope. Just a quick reminder to everyone, this episode of Drink4... is brought to you by my new app, Brooks Streams, which you can download now on the App and Google Play Store. Hello, kind traveler, and welcome back. Young Pope, what a wonderful little series. It's just so incredibly sumptuous and vast, and I guess so Sorrentino would be a, a cop-out way of really trying to explain just how sort of visually luxurious this is with the, the, the colors and the depth of field and just how big he makes everything look and how sort of grand it all is. I suppose that's why a lot of, a lot of people must love this because it really captures the grand idea of both religion and of Catholicism itself, I suppose, and the grandiose nature of having a representative of God on the planet. I think Sorrentino does a really good job of matching his visual style to the, I suppose, the pompacity that that, that would require, and that's something that's extremely interesting. Something else I really enjoyed is, is the fact, this sort of bare-bones nature of the the titling of each episode i watched episode one which is titled the first episode and it just sort of goes along like that for the rest of the series which is i think really interesting and and it also sort of takes away a lot of the narcissism i suppose involved in shooting something of this nature and i guess really giving jude law's pope the brunt of the narcissism because he is undoubtedly an extremely narcissistic character uh episode one opens on on the first day of his papacy and he has in in what is very typical of sorrentino's work a a vivid 
imaginative dream that incorporates what I have to assume is a lot of Freudian psychoanalytic theory and and various other iconographic images and themes that I, I mean really reflect it opens on a scene that looks like Bosch painted it a terrifying scene and that really I suppose tries to set a tone that is unlike I guess the rest of it it, it really confuses and confounds before the rest of the series opens because we don't we don't really get it it's very absurd and it's very surreal darkly at first and then very humorous and buoyant afterwards but one of the i think i think one of the things that hit home the hardest for me was how sort of short and abrupt Jude Law's Pope is, Pope Pius Eighth, I believe, or 13th, I believe it is. I think it's X triple I, I don't, it doesn't matter who, what his character is called. I'm bad at knowing what characters are called, and it, it I mean, it really doesn't matter. But the, the rudeness of his Pope really hit me personally, and I, and I don't know if, if that would necessarily translate to the rest of the series, who knows, but... With the opening speech that the Pope is I suppose, supposed to um, deliver to his people, he is very likable and very loved and is, is extremely charismatic and he retains his charisma through the whole thing. But the second that you find out that he's a very hard-lined man, I suppose you get a lot more of an idea of what the people who occupy the Vatican are probably like because you want them to be these very nice men of God and these very understanding and forgiving individuals and yet we know from the Catholic Church that that is not the case whatsoever as as much as they have been sort of making strides recently it's you know a thousand years too late and it and it sort of doesn't matter but but the second Jude Law's Pope opens his mouth for real because it sort of opens dreamily you find out that he is a very short-tempered and evasive man he doesn't like to to form relationships with anyone he yells at his cook who's a sweet old lady and continues his day and he's he's clearly up to something we don't know what it is in in episode one nor should we, and Sorrentino does do a very good job of setting this up, because we, I wanted more from from what I got here, just based on, on what I saw, I, I'm confused, I'm in limbo, and I, I want more of this, you know, shout out to, to Annabelle G, that was a, a fabulous recommendation, I can't wait to, to continue watching more of this, hopefully slightly more sober, I think one of the lines that really stuck with me is when Jude Law says, I can't shake my aversion to tourists. They're just passing through. To me, it, re- it was sort of a meta-reflection as to the audience of what's going on and, and the idea that we are indeed the tourists to this complex world steeped in religion and tradition and secrecy for millennia and we really start to feel his disdain for us he's not a likable character he's pretty and in this opening he's charismatic and i think the withholding i the withholding nature of his love he does give it to diane keaton's sister mary we want to earn it and we think in our heads that it would be neat if he liked me too um and and we're sort of in this first episode being set up to be on his side i guess because we see the underhanded nature of of the the other cardinals i guess working against him and it doesn't really help their case that they're not particularly good looking which is i guess another uh, whole can of worms based on on looks and perceptions in in narratives and in i 
not I guess, I know society as a whole. So that's that's another thing that this, this really sort of, I guess, brought to the fore. It's not something I usually drink for. Uh, it's something I definitely drink during, but to get shit-faced for a papal drama is something that I will probably have to do a lot more of and maybe something I will continue to do even outside of this podcast. Now, along those same lines, because I'm very good at transitions, we're going to go to our next television show. And this is going to be another single episode thing, because I know this Netflix gem is longer than a half hour. We're going to watch those gorgeous gentlemen, the Fab Five from Queer Eye. Now, I shouldn't really have to introduce you to the Fab Five, can't tell you who created the show i can't tell you who directs the show it really doesn't matter the only thing you need to know is that these men are modern day wizards who were put on this earth to make their audience feel a genuine kinship towards other humans i mean that or i guess they're aliens who feed off tears which leads us perfectly into the rules we're gonna drink every time you cry we're going to drink every time you think you might cry we're going to drink when Karamo says shit that hits you deep. And then you're going to go ahead and treat yourself to another one if Jonathan is there to release the emotional stuffiness with comedy. Drink every time you think to yourself, I'm going to make this dish Antony just cooked, but won't. And then we're going to drink for French tucks. So that, that covers the rules. Basically, if you haven't seen Queer Eye, I'm sorry that you're missing out on this cultural revolution it's one of the best reality shows i think i've ever seen it's cathartic it's wonderful and i haven't been able to watch an episode without crying a whole lot which i suppose says more about me than the show while at the same time queer eye is sort of a culmination of a decades-long struggle in media i'm only talking about media to have to have queerness recognized and represented on screen in a way that brings them into contact with a lot of people who would otherwise not find the gay community or who would otherwise disparage or disassociate themselves from queerness. And through sending these guys in, whether or not it's real or fake, because I don't know if some of these people that they're going to see did hate gay people, I guess, at one point, and then didn't, and that's why somebody nominated to get nominated them to get on the show, or I don't understand how they collect participants. But certainly some of the participants say that they aren't, I guess, allies would be the best word, and yet these five come in, and are able to use empathy and a very beautiful kind of human gentleness to break down social behaviors and norms. And I mean, they, they get into the, the, the pasts and the sort of mental health issues that a lot of these people are having and really are able to sit down with them on terms that exist outside of the labelings of society. These aren't five gay men who come in to help. These are five people who come in to help. And they help however they can. And obviously each of them has, has sort of a specialty and and they do this and that. But I, I do I really appreciate the show and it's it's one of those ones that um I can't binge. This is not a bingeable show. This is one that, that zaps me for a week after I watch an episode. So I'm still sort of halfway through season three, unable to, to really get there. But, you know, you're going you're gonna to get to get my full reaction, full drunk reaction, and uh, sort of weepy afterglow episode. So we'll see how that goes. And, uh, you know, enjoy yourself out there. If you've never seen this, take this as your opportunity to do so. It's, it's God... I mean, you'll, you'll learn something about interior design or fashion or cooking or the social work or hair and beauty. I mean, one of those things might interest you. Come on. 
you'll find something. I guarantee it. And if you don't, there's a dog. They have a dog in their office. If you don't like dogs, you should start to like dogs because they're great. You know, that's all I'm saying. Dogs are great. In case I forgot to mention this earlier, you should really download Brooks Dreams from the app or Google Play Store now. Don't let Jenny hog all that Hulu for herself. Fuck Jenny. Get some of that Hulu. Well, that was certainly a wonderfully cathartic uh, moment. Still sort of dabbing tears out of my eyes and letting the full gravity of that sink in. I watched the first episode of season three, sorry, season four, where Jonathan gets to go home and help his band teacher, Kathy, get rid of her 30-year-old mullet and just support his his uh, high school. Yeah, I'm not really... I'm not really sure what I can say about it without breaking down. I think that's that's one of the the great parts of the show. Is it's sort of for me at least leaves me very emotionally vulnerable and and sort of very self-reflective, I guess. Who knows? But one of the one of the things I did notice and it's one of the things I do want to amend is to add some additional rules. The first one is drink every time the boys yell. And that's going to be something to more easily and more quickly recognize their personality traits and the sort of characters they're they're portraying, I suppose. Uh, all the yelling, the, the very excited, uh, extremely over-positive individuals. And the second rule is going to be more visual-based, and that's drink for editing montages anytime they switch from one location to another, this time to that. They will do a musical visual montage between places and sort of, uh, I guess, cut those two sections together with a, a nice little visual of wherever they are. Whether in this case it's a part of the school or a hallway or some kids interacting with one another or, you know, a camp, some woodland views, part of the, the town in which they're currently doing their work. We're going to drink for... For that and then you get to I suppose more quickly recognize how what you're watching is put together all of that being said even if even if you do understand how it's being put together and understand that it is being put together it doesn't for me diminish the emotional and empathetic blows that queer eye sort of deals it is a beautifully human show and I think this new cast I, I haven't watched a lot of the the original and and so I can't really speak to to how they ran the show but this new cast certainly seems to me to want to make a point that in spite of the title of the show and their personal qualifications within the LGBTQ plus spectrum that they're still very human and then there's nothing other than personal experience that separates them from anyone else and going further for me that helps me in a world where so many people feel differently than me with the rise of fascism and conservatism and xenophobia and fear worldwide. It's incredible to watch a group of fearless people, I guess, go into places that I would feel uncomfortable. I don't think I could go into a small town in Illinois and feel very good about myself, feel like I was being a part of the people and I'm as privileged as they come. So to watch this group of people sort of fearlessly inject themselves into a place where they might not be wanted and greet everyone they meet with love is incredible to watch because it, it really sets, in spite of its being a television show produced in order to make money off of its audience's adoration and empathy, it still produces in me the recognition that 
to meet people with love is the only real way to, I guess, accomplish the goals I've set for myself in life and to, to really become the person that I want to be, to be able to understand and empathize with everyone and to never do things maliciously because it can feel so good, but to, to sit there and have hard conversations and to, in the case of uh, Karamo or Jonathan, or in this episode, Miss, Miss Kathy, reaching out to the person breaking down in front of you and holding their hand as they sort of break down the idea of human connection is so powerful throughout this series. And it's, a, it's something unlike any other series or film that I've ever seen. They really meet these people on their own levels and refuse to change fundamentally who they are. They just want to help them be the best them that they can be and to love themselves more. And, you know, there's nothing better in reality television than that. But to swiftly move away from all of this teary-eyed fucking nonsense, we're going to go into the depths with this one, the depths of, of the myriad of human pain, suffering, love, awkwardness, infidelity, and, I don't know, other words other words probably and watch easy which is on netflix it is created directed written and edited by joe swanberg a legend of the micro budget mumble core world he he personally started the careers i believe of the Duplass brothers lena dunham and greta gerwig i know he's worked with Rai Russo Young and Lynn Shelton, Ken or Kent Osborne, and others, made a bunch of different, very, very, uh, as I said, micro-budget films with these people, and is known for the very quiet, very normal human conversations. Nothing in a Joe Swanberg drama is going to heighten the drama of real life. It's going to be just as dramatic as as your everyday we're not going to have a crazy character and a this character and a that character we're just going to have regular people and whether that makes something boring or not i think that's where swanberg really shines is his ability to sort of focus on the moments that matter and the moments that really bring together the humanity of his characters with this this is uh it's a three-season-long se three show. It's now done. It's over forever. These three seasons are probably all we're going to get from Joe. But it centers around a sort of amalgamous group of Chicagoans living, just living. A lot of it deals with love and the difficult human stuff that springs from something that seems so easy at first. <laughs> That's the title of the show. Um, but Swanberg is never one to shy away from a difficult moment and loves sort of hanging around, just letting his actors breathe in a space, in a scene, giving them the propriety to sort of really inhabit their characters and let their characters do things that we all do, which include pregnant pauses or asinine interjections of things and so this is this is really hard for me to watch it always has been I, I i made my way very very slowly through this series but we have some some uh very reasonable drinking rules for you they should they should really help you get through this we're gonna drink as a means of avoiding friend shaman and that is a very poor pronunciation of the German word meaning to feel awkward for someone else. In this, there's a lot of young people. There's a lot of old people. 
there's a lot of, I suppose the word I'm looking for is different. There's a lot of different people in this, and they're all trying to interact with one another in a way that they know how, and that's incredibly awkward to watch and be a part of. But the fact that we're just sort of allowed to watch them be can be extremely awkward. In conjunction with rule two, which is drink for your own shame. So much of what goes on in Easy reminded me of myself at a younger age, at myself in certain situations in my life, before I had the opportunity to grow and move away from that moment. And to watch it again is is terribly uncomfortable, makes me terribly uncomfortable to see the follies of my youth and to see the awkward, clammy, inexperienced decisions of, of a child really, really gets to me. And that's something that uh, I will have to drink for in this because there's no, there's really another, no other way to get through there. But, uh, you know, for some added catharsis, you can drink anytime you feel seen. One of the things I think Joe does so well is incorporate the viewpoints of so many different types of people. Now, I will certainly not qualify the word types here, but he really does in easy because it centers around a sort of amalgamous group of Chicagoans simply living. He's able to display various segments of the population's struggle with existence and in so doing he's really able to tell a story that might not be his and it might not be yours and it might not be mine but in my head I think in the sort of optimist viewpoint I hold towards art could be somebody else's viewpoint and in so being really becomes a learning lesson for me in knowing and in seeing that other people struggle much differently than I do and triumph in other ways that I do. And that's a, a really interesting part of this series. But I will have to choose a random episode to start with. And uh, after I watch a few of those, drink a little bit more because God knows I need to drink a little bit more. I will get back to you. Until then, ciao, ciao. During this break, don't forget to download Brooks Streams from your app or Google Play Store. As how the fuck else are you going to watch all these delicious, delicious streams? Fucking god damn, I'm a good advertiser. Oh my goodness, things have taken an extremely dark turn. Joe Swanberg certainly didn't help me in any way feel any sort of, I suppose, better about anything that's gone on today, nor have the many, many, many liters of booze that I've consumed. So, yeah, that's a fucking treat. Insofar as easy is concerned, I probably need to issue a bit of a warning to couples out there or people in relationships and uh, you should really tread carefully with easy there watching uh, these couples dysfunctional shit while drinking seems like it could certainly be fuel to any fire in any relationship and you should really be careful about getting drunk and watching this show with any partners or prospective partners. Regarding the episodes I watched, I started season one, episode four for some reason. Yeah, I, I think season one, episode four is how I started most of these. Episode entitled Controlada. And I think part of the reason I'm so drunk is because I felt so fucking seen when Gabby was in the club uh, with her husband. An episode about a Hispanic couple. I would guess they were Latinos. It, it sounded like Mexican-Spanish to me. I could be wrong. A Hispanic couple 
house. Uh, moved to Chicago very recently. Argue about a couch in the opening scene. And then one of their friends, Martine, calls and comes to stay with them the weekend. Turns out Martine used to see the wife, Gabby, uh, and her husband, Bernie, uh, was very uh, close friends with him as well because he's the one he called. So they all knew each other from back at home, wherever home was. Swanberg never really gives us any clue as to where people are from, but that's fine. As the narrative progresses, we realize that Bernie is uh, a very sort of boring man. He's got uh, he's very he's somebody who's very comfortable in his routines and very um, solipsistic is the wrong word. He's a loner. There's uh, probably a word for being a loner, but um, he goes out with Gabby and Martine at the club. And it's not even a club, it's just a loud bar. And I, I can't tell you how absolutely seen I felt when I first moved to London. I, I had so many of these nights where I would just stand around, bemused by the crowd around me, and really sort of being extremely disinterested in the people I was with, and even more disinterested, bordering on disdain for the the people around me. Unlike Bernie, I have no problem drinking to excess, as this is certainly a record of, so I wouldn't necessarily leave sober, but, um, you know, that that is one of the reasons I'm so drunk right now, is because that scene in particular really was, a, a, that was a punch in the gut. Uh, as, as, as far as other interesting tidbits go, there's a, a lot of really great passionate sex in this. So I felt doubly seen by Bernie when he was having to ignore Martine's fucking because Martine brings a girl home and uh, wakes up the whole house. And so Bernie has to ignore Martine as he's fucking just as I had to ignore everyone fucking while I was sitting watching some gorgeous Hispanic people fuck next to my parents. Uh, the other episode I watched was season 3 episode 5 because I'm a badass and I needed to convey convey I need to deny convention and so I watched that episode entitled Swipe Left where uh, Elizabeth Reeser and Michael Chernis's relationship is sort of dissolving even further into oblivion they are still in therapy still in a sort of open relationship but during the therapy scene it was it was uh, interesting i have some thoughts written here uh, regarding talking to a therapist and engaging with a therapist while discussing your partner and how utterly strange it seems when removed from that situation. Why can't we just look at the other person when we need to say a hard thing? When we think we might hurt somebody, why does looking away feel like we're getting away with it? Like we've sort of been able to remove ourselves from the situation just because we're talking to a therapist rather than them. And when I went, I did the same thing. It was like seeking approval from the counselor more than trying to work through things. Uh, just receiving justification for behavior from a third party is the antithesis of reconciliation. But for me, when I feel that I'm hurt, I want my partner to feel that hurt more than I want them to understand that hurt. And that's certainly more destructive than anything because it forces me to hurt somebody else to prove a point. And that's never what needs to happen to end a fight because you're arguing, trying to get somebody else to understand how you feel, not to feel the way you feel. Because if two people enter into a discussion hurt with the aim of making the other person feel hurt, you're not going to exit that conversation anything but hurt. 
I think Easy understands human idiosyncrasies better than anything else that I've seen in terms of dramatic human relationships. And that's probably one of the reasons why so few people know about it and why it's dead after three seasons. Which, you know, it's nothing to knock knock back. It's That's great to, to get three seasons out of something like this. But, you know, life isn't easy. Um, you know, laugh track. And nor are relationships. And as Easy delicately shoves this in our mouths like wedding cake by a newly minted partner, uh, problems aren't solved, nor do they miraculously evaporate in life. So we have to work for everything that we get, as we always do. And this show displays that work. It revels in the work that needs to be done in order to quote-unquote live happily to make things look easy you need to have tough discussions you need to have horrible horrible pain in your life you need to feel the entire spectrum before you understand the upper echelons of it as stupid and fucking shitty as it sounds there's no dark without light there's no light without dark there's no happiness without sadness and so this is the sadness this is the pain this is the work this is the hard stuff that goes into relationships that no other show shows making a show about these tough things doesn't provide an escape for people and it doesn't provide that fun little moment of of respite for people dealing with these things when they go home sitting next to a partner with which you were struggling and having to watch this, I can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, it just sort of throws life in your face. And it, I mean, it really made me feel, feel recognized, feel seen, I suppose, to keep using that word. Unlike so many other heightened dramas that use, you know, music and editing to force a sense of feeling, you either engage with easy or you don't. And it's not personal it's momentary it exists in a time and a space more than it does on a personal level this might not hit you today but it might hit you tomorrow this might not hit you at lunch it might hit you at dinner you either engage here or you don't the drama is all just human action and the terribly tough situations that we somehow force and find our way into and that's tough to watch. I don't know if that was good for me today. It might be. It's really hard to tell. I'm currently very, very drunk. As uh, anyone listening from the beginning to this late in the episode will know. This is, uh, you know, it's very hard for me to tell whether or not this is this this really connected with me today. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I certainly felt a lot. I didn't feel quite as much as I did with Queer Eye in terms of empathetic release, I suppose. I didn't cry. I didn't really want to cry. I didn't feel any from shame. But I did feel seen and I did feel my own shame quite a bit. And maybe that's today. Maybe that's a couple weeks from now. But it might not be tomorrow morning. The ability to change and to grow, I think, is uh, quite evident and easy. And, uh, you know, very clever title, Joe Swanberg. Titling one of the most difficult shows of all time, easy, you know. I'm sure I'm, I'm extremely... Scott, I feel so fucking clever. Pointing that out towards the end here. But in order to lift us out of the depths of despair, personal anguish, and the dissolution of the modern idea of partnership, we have today's final drinking event for me which is Barry available on HBO or you can rent it on the internet it was created by Alex Berg and Bill Hader and it is currently in season number two concerning midwestern hitman Barry as played by Bill Hader who goes to LA in order to complete a hit and decides to stay to pursue acting. I haven't seen a whole lot of Barry. It's one of my great televisual failings. 
given the, the massive amount of online criticism and diehard fandom that exists behind Barry and the few episodes that I've seen from late game season two, this is going to be an absolute fucking treat to uh, be as drunk as I currently am for it. So let's see how I did with making drinking game rules for something I've never seen before. One, we're going to drink for Funches being cowardly. And his name definitely isn't Funches because that's Ron's first name and not the character played by Steven Root. Fuchés, maybe? Fuchés? Fuckages? Uh, it could be, could be one of those things. No one's really sure. I'm sure they are sure, and I'm sure I'll find out as soon as I watch this today. But, uh, Fuchés, 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 or, uh, probably not Funches. It's not Funches. We're going to drink for L.A. Narcissism. L.A. is famous for its narcissism. As soon as you move there, you have to start an Instagram account with your amazing weight loss transformation, new tattoos, new dog, new life, new tan, new everything. People love L.A., and L.A. loves new people. We're going to take a shot. This is going to get me into some trouble. Oh, boy. We're going <laughs> to take a shot when Barry is supposed to kill somebody who dies in another way. So if Barry is set to, say, put a hit on someone, and he shows up at their place and they're already dead, take a shot. We're going to drink for the word Chechen, or Chechnya, or other Eastern European rebel group names. You sort of choose for yourself here. Enjoy that. Oh, and uh, of course, we're going to drink, as always, we do a drink for the standard rules, which are death, blood, drinking, and fighting. That seems like it'll be plenty for a show about a hitman who's gone to LA in order to continue both hitting and acting. So, you know, enjoy yourselves. And, uh, you know, get, get some friends over. Tell them we're finally going to watch Barry. I know Game of Thrones is over, but we can watch a show that existed after it. Uh, to these rules made by a drunk uh, man whose podcast I listen to that has never even seen the show. Uh, with that being said out loud and clearly developing into my mind, I'm going to go ahead and asterisk that and say I might come back with some better rules. So, you know, don't hold your fucking breath. Hey, kid. Yeah. You want some focused streaming passwords? Yeah, I do. You should download Brooks Streams. Shit's fucking tight. Thanks, mister. Where can I find it? On the App Store and the Google Play Store. Cool beans. Download that shit now. Guys, guess what? It's uh, Fuchs. It's pronounced Fuchs, not uh, Funches. Uh, how about that? Turns out I uh, added an N in my notes. So yeah, probably mix it up with Funke when I was typing that. But uh, Barry, good God, what a fucking show! Holy shit! Uh, it it uh, for me so perfectly mixes society's need for me to be this sort of masculine hero who's always ready and willing to use deadly force and the handsome leading man who can say and sort of do and get away with whatever he wants he's he, he, he you know he he is the quintessential it's it's a james bond character writ large i suppose in the making more than writ large writ, uh, i'm too drunk to to really use the, the, the academic parts of my brain, which are already few and far between, but um, yeah, this is, I mean, this is really something, and I, I absolutely see why people love this so much, because Barry is an action hero, but he's as awkward as we are, and so it lets us believe that we have a hidden talent, that we have this hidden incredible ability that we can use at any time, theoretically, when people aren't watching. And, you know, we could always be 
this Barry character. We could be as extraordinary as Barry. While I suppose at the same time being good to know that even somebody as extraordinary at killing in this case is Barry. He's a, a very terrible actor, so that's always quite important. Um, I mean, it's 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 sort of absurdity run rampant. It's incredible to watch something that seems so self-aware in terms of being able to recognize society's desire to portray masculinity in a certain way and to portray acting in a certain way and in so doing make it so incredibly fun and interesting to watch i think it's it is a tremendous amount of fun and to watch all of these very funny people work around one another and clearly put so much work into behind the scenes or throwaway jokes is really great to see in something like this because it it doesn't just take an absurd idea and run with it. It takes an absurd idea and really tries to pack in as much humor and joy as possible. You know, whether that's something that exists in all comedy or just comedy that I personally connect with or that you personally connect with, I don't know. Maybe there's there's a ton of detail thrown into to everything and you only sort of catch it if you're really sort of in tune with it. I don't know. Maybe. I have to assume people love things for, for a reason and so maybe that's the reason. Uh, that was so much fun. I could probably talk about Barry for the rest of my life, but you know, we're, we're running pretty late on time here already. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do you a huge favor here and I'm going to give you some more rules without drinking myself because I probably can't for some other series that I personally really love. And, uh, I'm going to give those to you now. So yeah, you know, you're welcome. Uh, first one, it's going to be Bojack Horseman. This is available on Netflix. This is a show beloved by by so many people. I watch it probably as much as I can. Any television show, I I think I have a, a big problem remembering a lot of things because as much as I watch anything, I watch things a ton. I can't. I'm always surprised when I repeat a season and I get something that I've never gotten before. So, you know, th these these rules have to be ongoing and evolving but uh but as far insofar as bojack goes we're gonna drink for drinking good luck we're gonna drink for drugs good luck we're gonna drink for meanness good luck we're gonna drink for flashbacks you should be fine we're gonna drink for human animals acting like animals you know, the, the series, of course, is populated by anthropomorphic animals acting like humans yet retaining some of their animalian habits. So anytime Bojack and somebody else is having a very normal human conversation and the other party turns to their animalian instincts, go ahead and have a drink. Good fucking luck. And the second series, which I've provided drinking game rules for here is uh oh boy that was a good sentence look at me hooray for me uh what i meant to say of course is the second series for which i have provided drinking game rules is david lynch's twin peaks and twin peaks the return for both you can drink for coffee you can drink for small town charm you could drink for donuts you could drink for the word diane you could drink for Lara's theme, and you could drink for the word Palmer. And then when you go ahead and you go to the return, you're gonna drink for the word Dougie. You're gonna drink every time you see Evil Coop or hear about Evil Coop or see somebody speak about Evil Coop, which is sort of a hearing double dose there. So good luck. And we're going to drink for both of them for the surreal so good luck drinking for david lynch's twin peaks it's one of the best series of all time one of my all-time favorites and something that you know you can probably never get enough of i'm not sure if i'd recommend it drunk it's confusing enough sober 
although it's quite life-affirming so you know maybe the added hit of alcohol and the sort of quick release it affords to empathy maybe that would uh, you know make Twin Peaks quite a bit more special I don't know maybe who, yeah, who knows? All I know is everything I'm saying currently, I will have forgotten by tomorrow morning. <sighs> I've been drinking for far too long. And uh, yeah, this is, this is an incredibly irresponsible decision I've made. And yet, I've promised a second part already. So, I will have to record a second half. And that one is going to contain a lot of shows that I haven't seen before. So good luck me, future me. I'm going to toss that, you know, good luck out. And good luck you, my audience, who will uh, hopefully quickly abandon me after this fool's errand I'm about to go on. So I wish you a good night. I wish me a good night. Because fucking God knows I won't remember it.